And now, opinion and discussion about whatever suits him. This is the Tim Harvey Show. Uh, hi folks, this is uh, the Tim Harvey Show. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you are watching this live on Twitch, uh, you can actually make comments. You go to Twitch, you've got a place you can join the conversation. If you are uh, listening to this on the podcast side of things, you can leave us a comment or a question on, uh, uh, through our email and, of course, on the website, scififorme.com. And we just went dark there. Are we still... Uh, broadcasting? Okay, cool. Yeah. Excellent. I am going to cross the uh, technology camera here real quick. Uh, Jason just crossing the camera there. Uh, so, um, you know, so last week, first episode of the show, talked a little bit about what I was looking to do with the Tim Harvey show. And after we got off the air and talking about what we did, um, I had come on this little kind of mini rant about one of the comic book series that's out right now, The Shadow. Batman miniseries that's running between uh, DC and is it Dark Horse or, or IDW? I think it's Dark Horse. I think it's Dark Horse. Um, but uh, it's an interesting series. The artwork's really beautiful. It's kind of an Elseworlds title. It's outside of continuity. But as a fan of the Shadow as a character, you know, 1930s, 1940s based character, um, there's all parts of the comic that are kind of, as a fan, I, I had that reaction where I'm kind of angry about it. Even though I'm enjoying the series overall, it's, it's really well-crafted. There's changes to the continuity of the Shadow and Batman that are like, I, there's that little bit of anger. And it got me thinking about how we react to um, changes in things as fans. Now, if you haven't heard or seen any of the reviews, Inhumans opened in IMAX theaters uh, ahead of its screening um, it's miniseries. I think it's an eight-episode series. Eight episodes, ten episodes. And the reviews uh, have been poor. And the reaction from fans from pretty much every stage, once we first got a trailer for this, um, or information about the cast, or information about the crew, or the publicity stills, the reaction uh, from, from fans towards the Inhumans uh, series has been a collective... What is this? Why is this happening? What are they doing? What are they thinking? And unfortunately, it looks like, from, and I haven't seen it yet, but the initial reviews of the IMAX screenings um, have been very, very poor, and the numbers, the actual dollar amounts, um, have been much, much lower than ex expected for it. Interestingly enough, I saw today that It was almost an IMAX film, and they decided not to do It in IMAX instead of The Inhumans. So... That would have been, for all of the facts that, you know, it is getting these great reviews, uh, that could have been really, really cool. And what's interesting to me is that when you look at some of these adaptations of the source material, where changes are made or a poor adaptation happens, fandom reacts as much as you might expect. And it can be as much as, you know, uh, look at the, the Superman... You know, uh, Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman or uh, Suicide Squad. <clears throat> you can look at things like Iron Fist on Netflix. You can look at things like The Inhumans. There's these things that when they somehow, you know, you get these, you get these stories that we get excited about, and when we get the adaptation hits, everyone kind of looks at it and goes, "What? 
happened here. You know, DC's had that problem with films for a long, long time. And um, that's the uh, sound of a cat in the background, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, and suddenly you have something like Wonder Woman comes along. Or, but at the same time, you know, Marvel's been hitting it on all cylinders, except they have something like Netflix, or where you've got this really strong selection of shows until you have Iron Fist, or the backlash that a lot of people ended up having against the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which they never recovered those numbers. Uh, and anything that was intended to do a spin-off of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of just died on the vine. Um, and it doesn't just extend, you know, it extends beyond the comic book universe as well. Uh, if you go to the SciFiForMe.com website, you can see Jason's review of the first episode of The Orville. And I didn't quite agree with him. I was really disappointed with the show. Because on one hand, it wants to be Star Trek, but it's Star Trek bland, and it's not that funny. So it's the worst of both worlds, as far as, you know, as, far as my reaction to it. And it may get better. It's the first episode. First episodes are always a hard thing to, to judge any television show by. Very rarely does the pilot episode of a show really blow people out of the water. And you look at shows and, and films where the adaptation was just dead on, where they got the right tone, and it worked from go. I mean, there's a reason shows like The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones are such hits on television, because they managed to capture what it is that made fans love those properties pretty much from the beginning. And it really doesn't matter overall if you get the right casting and the right costumes if you don't get the right tone and the writing isn't there. We've talked about this before on just about every podcast we've ever done on this on, on Sci-Fi For Me, is that it's all about story and getting the writing done right first. And, I mean, there's so much of this going on right now. We've got, you know, the Orville has got a lot of Star Trek fans excited because they weren't reacting the way that they were hoping to, to Discovery. And Discovery, for all we know, Discovery is going to be a great show. Probably not, considering all we, everything we've heard about the production problems and everything going on uh, just on the back end. And, of course, how CBS has just completely botched their marketing of this show. And then there's a erraticness in tone, and there's no consistent message about this show coming through. It's just, you end up with these things where we're, we've all prejudged this stuff. Half the time we're prejudging it to the point where our expectations are way too high. Or we get to the point where we watch it and we're like, what is happening here? And it's really hard to understand how the folks who created it, who produced it, could have gotten it so wrong. Um, it's... It's a frustrating thing as a fan because as someone who wants to enjoy these things, who wants to you know, get excited about a lot of these productions and then enjoy them when they air, and then you find yourself you know, having reactions where you're not able to actually just enjoy something for what it is. All of this stuff comes with so much baggage uh, and history that we have every reason to expect a level of quality from. If you're going to see Wonder Woman, you've never had a feature film version of Wonder Woman. And it carried so much weight 
ahead of even anyone ever seeing the film. It carried the weight of Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad not being what fans were hoping for. And of course, carrying the, the weight of being a female-led superhero film. There's all these things that, you know, it made a lot of people very, very nervous and, you know, upset and afraid what this film was going to end up being. And a lot of people have looked at Wonder Woman as potentially saving the DC universe, you know, DC cinematic universe. Um, and then you have something like Marvel, where you've spent so much time building up a really quality... Mm, okay, let me, let me qualify that real quick. Marvel has a fantastic formula. If you take all of their films and you line them up, you can find the same story beats and all these different things. I mean, it's a, it's a very successful formula for them, and it's, it's worked really well. I mean, there's no arguing with that. But the expectation that somehow Marvel was never going to have a misstep was, you know, well, for those of us who have been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from the beginning, um, you know, we saw the first half of the first season and went, <laughs> well, they broke it now. You know, people were terrified what Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be. And they thought that was going to be the one where Marvel lost its way. And you could argue that the second Guardians of the Galaxy film isn't anywhere near as good as the first one. But in all of these cases, we ended up with expectations that often ran right up into our own, you know, the realities of certain types of storytelling, but also the realities of the business of making movies or television. Then you have something like The Inhumans, where there was no great fan outcry for an Inhumans series. The, certainly, the comic book series has gotten a lot of great reviews, and there's a Black Bolt uh, ongoing series or a miniseries. You know, The Inhumans have been, uh, ever since the whole, you know, the X-Men are not a property that, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe can use. The Inhumans have kind of been maneuvered into the being sort of that role in the comics as well. The problem with that, of course, is that X-Men has a history that has generated the kind of fandom where the Inhumans just hasn't. I mean, certainly there's fans of the Inhumans, of course there are. And they've had a long-running series, you know, appearances in, in other comic series. But for the most part, the Inhumans have been... With, the, with some exceptions of, of titles over the years, they've been supporting cast. They've appeared in, you know, the Fantastic Four, they've appeared in the Avengers, uh, but they've been secondary characters. They've been, you know, they come in for this story and then they're gone again. And one of the things that a lot of the reviews I've seen for the Inhumans has run into has been the fact that if you look at the society of the Inhumans, it's not one that we kind of want there to be. You know, it's a royal family of people who, you know, they're rich, they're powerful, they have all this stuff, and they have basically a underclass that is a essentially a slave class. They are the, you know, these are the folks who are the workers, they're the ones who didn't get the cool powers through the Terrigen Mists. This isn't something that ends up showing up on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show when they dealt with the Inhumans. But there's all these interesting political dynamics and social dynamics that are built into the story of the Inhumans. I saw one review, and I can't remember where it's from, unfortunately, but they looked at it and went, well, 
the bad guy has a point. And that's a whole trope right there is where the villain is often, you know, the methods are wrong, but the idea is right. And that can be some really interesting storytelling if you get a chance to play with it. But apparently, not so much. I did hear that Lockjaw is very popular. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge, I think, when we're looking at what we want from our storytelling and our big, uh, the big, the big characters and franchises and you know the series that are getting adapted. You know, we <coughs> excuse me the explosion of superhero films, the the resurgence of the science fiction film has been great for fans. It's been an incredible thing for those of us who are you know the science fiction, fantasy, horror fans. And you end up with something like, you know, a really fantastic adaptation of it, which seems to be, with some rare exceptions, there's always somebody who doesn't, who doesn't think it's, it's what they want. Again, it comes down to what, what we want out of our films. But there are, overall, the reviews for it have been really, really good. And then just a couple of months ago, we had The Dark Tower come out. And for a film that had a fantastic cast and looked great, in the trailers, it pretty much across the board was the reaction was, well, they've just killed the Dark Tower series. This, you know, we're not going to get a sequel to this because the film just wasn't good. And you ended up, you know, here, here's an incredible built-in, you know, just gigantic built-in fan base. And we've seen what happens when you take that gigantic built-in fan base and you put it you know, put the film up and, it, and expose it to the legion of people who haven't been part of the Harry Potter universe or the Transformers universe or the Star Trek universe or whatever it is. You know, the reason, you know, there were <laughs> comic book fans for ages were confused by the insistence that the press always says second tier level hero Iron Man. But if you were a comic book fan and a Marvel Comics fan, you're like, he was a founding member of the Avengers. What are you talking about, second tier? You know, it's <clears throat> the exposure of these well-crafted versions of these characters has, you know, led to this gigantic uh, range of, and, some, and to some degrees, you know, it may have gone too far. People are always talking about the collapse of the superhero genre. Our friend Kendall Sin thinking, was thinking and we had probably another year or two years on it. Um, the studios don't seem to think so, of course. It's just been a very interesting thing to look at. Um, the, I'm one of those people who I give a fair amount of latitude to adapting material from one format to another. There, is, there are significant differences to the way you can tell a story from a novel to a comic to an audio production to a film. And you have to make decisions along the course of producing that that are, from a fan's point of view, uh, if, you know, depending on where you fall on the spectrum of, you know, must be perfect in every way, exactly like the source material to, I just want a good story. Uh, somewhere, you know, we all tend to fall somewhere on that range. And if you're, <laughs> if, if you're falling along the, you know, must be pure uh, 
you're going to run into a lot of trouble with adapting source material. I just listened to a audio production, a uh, full cast audio production of Lock and Key, which had a much touted uh, pilot produced a few years ago, which has screened at a few conventions at this point, as far as I can tell. I don't think anybody's seen it. Um, I don't think I've seen it anywhere online. And it's a, you know, it was a hugely successful comic series and with a lot of people really excited about potential film adaptations or television adaptations. And it hasn't gotten off the ground. Now, the audio production is almost word for word the comic. They did a really fantastic job of adapting the, through the use of sound effects, of course, and music, um, being able to take what was on the page and produce an audio version that was true to the source material. Of course, what you miss out on is the amazing artwork. But that's just the nature of transmitting one the story from one format to another. You know, you look at something like uh, Game of Thrones. Everybody who read those novels had a very distinct idea of what those characters looked like. Everybody who, you know, watched, you know, read the book Ender's Game or read, um, oh, good Lord, just pick any series. You know, um, you, your, your expectation of who those characters are, you read the words on the page and you form a picture in your head and sometimes they cast that film exactly the way you want it to be cast. But most of the time, there's, you know, pick a film. There has been some, <laughs> every time they cast a character in one of these franchises, there's at least one character, you know, one actor who's like, this is entirely the wrong person for the role. How dare you? You know, Chris Evans. It's hard to think about anybody else playing Captain America now. But you look at Chris Evans, and prior to that, you know, he had been in terrible romantic comedies, and he just was not somebody who you looked at and went, oh yeah, Captain America, sure. And the film that sold me on the idea was the film The Losers, which is an ad adapted another DC, uh, DC Comics comic, that apparently, you know, nobody saw. I think it was like one of the six people who saw that movie. And I loved it. It was not a great film, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, he's, you know, watched him in that film, and I went, yeah, I could see him as Captain America. And he nailed it, of course. He is, he's what we think of now as Captain America on screen. Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Um, DC, you know, Gal Gadot ends up, you know, Wonder Woman. Yes, we now know what Wonder Woman looks like on screen. You know, you, your mileage may vary with, uh, you know, Henry Cavill and, and Ben Affleck, although Ben Affleck's Batman got a lot of praise. But then you look at Jared Leto's Joker in Suicide Squad. And quite frankly, I had no problem with his performance. I hated the way he looked because I don't think, like, my Joker needs to be a Hot Topic ad. So, you know, especially since we've had, you know, somebody like Heath Ledger's performance. And now they're talking about potentially Leo DiCaprio playing the Joker. And that kind of thing is just odd to me. Because I've got this image in my head of Leo DiCaprio, and it's unfortunately for Leo and, and my enjoyment of a lot of his films, there's always that part of me that sees Titanic 
and I hated Titanic. Not because it's uh, not a good love story, I don't appreciate a good love story, but I'm also unfortunately one of those people who knows enough history that when I watched that movie it made me angry because I got so many things wrong. And uh, for all the touting of the great special effects, I watched the film and went, I can see every effect shot in this film. None of it looks real to me. So, you know, but that's, and that's one of the things, you know, we get that stuff lodged in our head. And so I know that that's, you know, even though he's been, Leo DiCaprio has been in so many other films where he's been really, really good, there's always that part of me that, you know, wants to see him go down with the ship. Because that film just, you know, I, I didn't like that movie. So it ends up being this thing where, you know, there are always going to be those folks who are never going to enjoy the new Star Trek movies because they, you know, they don't adapt the source material, the, the original TV show and the original films, in a way that appeals to those fans. And there's always going to be, you know, some some weird kind of... Okay, Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine was when, it, when you, know, you had Star Trek, you had Next Generation, everyone was like, oh, Next Generation, and the first scene was, was, was pretty terrible. And the show got progressively better, and it had some misfires across its run, but it got, you know, people loved the Next Generation. Deep Space Nine came along, and here's a show that's not set on a spaceship. It's set on a, you know, it, well, it, it actually is set on a spaceship, but it's not, you know, a, a story of exploration. It's, you know, and, and yet, Deep Space Nine was able to tell these really, really powerful stories. And it's, for a lot of fans, once the, the, the war with the founders started up, you end up with these really rich storylines and questions about what it means to be an honorable, 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 good lord, uh, honorable person and being true to yourself in the face of a terrible conflict and all these different things they were able to play with. And it was very much Star Trek. But its premise was very much not what you expected from Star Trek. I'm... I'm torn about Discovery because leaving aside the question of where it falls in any kind of timeline, now I hear that there's a potential that it's a whole new, brand new third timeline, which is whatever, I don't care. It Give me good stories. Is it, you know, I, I'm a big fan of canon, all right? I like, I like consistency in my, in my story. One of the things that really upset me and a lot of other people about DC's New 52 was that it threw out all this history, all this canon, all this great storytelling to tell everything again from scratch. And instead of doing it really well, they did it very poorly, in my opinion. I know there's fans of New 52 out there, and I'm glad you guys enjoy it. Um, so DC Rebirth, where so much of that stuff was wiped away or changed in some ways subtle, in some ways very dramatically, back to what it was before was really gratifying and they got it right more often than they got it wrong. It really is the kind of thing where if you if you if canon matters to you 
sometimes these, these changes from one medium to another can be very, very hard to deal with. And reboots, of course, you know, reboots are a thousand and one different ways to get upset about things. Um, I'm not seeing, you know, and yet oddly enough, I'm not seeing the kind of negative backlash, negative, as opposed to the positive backlash, but the, seeing the kind of backlash for the new Hellboy that I was expecting to see. I know there's people out there who aren't, who aren't happy that, that it's getting a reboot at all, but I'm also not seeing the level of anger towards, you know, a new version of Hellboy. I think we just want new Hellboy stories. And as long as the creator's on board, you know, that, ma that makes us happy more than anything else um, because we want more of this very rich universe of storytelling that we only got two films for. And two films that they didn't do the kind of box office we wanted them to have overall. Um, and you end up being, uh, you know, if you enjoyed those films, if you enjoyed those stories, you end up feeling shortchanged. You didn't get, and which of course, you know, you, we aren't owed anything as fans. I know this is a big surprise. We're not owed a Star Trek that we like, or a, a Batman that we like, or a Superman that we like, or any of these things. Um, we want it, and I think we have every right to expect that the people who are creating it are going to do it well, because if you're going to spend that kind of money, if you're going to do that kind of, you know, if you're willing to go into this kind of thing, you should be trying to do it right. You should be trying to tell the best story you can tell. And yet it doesn't always work. I mean, fantastic, the Fantastic Four movies in general, the most recent one, of course, is the worst example. You know, when you basically have to go back to the original Roger Corman film that was never meant to be shown anywhere to find one of the best adaptations on screen so far, that's probably not good. They haven't got it right yet. Um, you know, there's you have to be able to look at this stuff and find the place where if you have the creative team giving you good material then you know if you could it, it's uh, I can get tongue-tied on this because like I said this all things all things started uh, basically with me sitting around after we were recording last week talking about this Batman Shadow series. And I guess one of the reasons that it upset me, even though, like I said, I'm enjoying it. I got that weird, that's, that whole dichotomy between enjoying the, the artwork is gorgeous, the story is interesting. But it basically makes, you know, in short version, it makes, and I guess spoilers, yeah, well, some spoilers, that the Shadow has been involved with Batman's life throughout his entire life in ways that Bruce Wayne and Batman never knew, right? Um, and it's, it's an interesting idea. And yet, you know, as like I said, I'm enjoying it, but it also upset me. Because there's a part of me, as a fan of The Shadow, that has never seen a really good adaptation of the, of the material um, outside of The Shadow's original excuse me, The Shadow's original um, location, the 1930s, 1940s, pre-World War, pre War II, was really where this character lived. And if you haven't read The Shadow books, that's kind of where you should go. Yes, there's the amazing Orson Welles radio show. But that was a version of the character that was 
created uh, okay the shadow the shadows creation I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna get into that here but there's as much cross pollination between the radio show and the novels as you could expect from just about any um, uh, you know storytelling franchise I guess the influence of the radio show on the books and vice versa uh, you don't you just don't see that kind of stuff that cross pollination happen in in too many in too many uh, uh, stories anymore but the every time they've taken the character out of the 1940s, 30s, 40s, they've had to make significant changes to the character that end up taking it well away from what it was. And this is generally proved to be a problem because your stories end up suffering for it. In the late 80s, early 90s, there was the DC Comics Howard Shaken series where they basically brought him into the 20th century, the late 20th century, and it was a really interesting series, and I never could decide if I liked it. Three out of the four issues were really interesting storytelling of trying to get that character into a world that it he never was meant to be in. And the consequences of that character showing up in this time frame, right? But at the same time, the shadow ultimately for all the supernatural trappings, for all the mysticism, for all the, the you know, elements of, of Eastern mysticism and little touches of horror, it's very much a crime story. And it's a crime story that works best with mobsters and science villains who were mm, fairly ludicrous once you take them out of the, the, the period where we just didn't know enough about science. Where there was, you know, the idea where radiation could be, you know, yes, I'm exposed to large quantities of radiation, and now I'm going to be, you know, I have villain and instead of just ending up in a cancer ward. Um, and yes, if you go back to that source material, you're going to have to deal with the fact that there is some elements of um, racism that you just can't get around because it was part of the time period. I mean, it's just, it's built in. Uh, to the culture at the time is exactly what you were going to expect to find and you can be How you feel about that is going to impact, you know, if you can if you can divorce yourself from How we look at the world now to, and, and look at the stories themselves and that's tough for a lot of people And I certainly you know don't begrudge anyone the, their ability to do that or not do that but um, you know, it's that kind of thing where the character is very much part and parcel of a specific time and place. And the shadow's different than, say, Iron Man or Superman or Star Trek. I mean, you could do Star Trek, it's, it's okay, admittedly, it'd be hard to do Star Trek set in the 20th century. It really wouldn't be Star Trek. That's not the, you know, it's set in the future. It's the future of humanity. It's us getting out into the universe and having adventures and exploring. But you can go forward with Star Trek. You can jump another generation. You know, you can jump two or three generations. Give us a far-flung Star Trek series. It doesn't even fit any, sit anywhere near the stories that we've already told. You could do that. You know, um, Superman and Batman came out of the 1930s. You know, you have to. You know, obviously we're not still tell, telling those stories then, and we're telling different kinds of stories that we were telling for Superman and Batman than we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The characters obviously change with the times. But you have someone like The Shadow, where this was a, well, I mean, let's face it, he's basically the Punisher of the 1930s. 
and how you feel about a vigilante character whose solution to, to dealing with criminals is essentially mass murder. Um, that sort of thing somehow fits better in the 1930s because that was the era of the, gang, era of the gangsters and you know prohibition and gun running and all these different things that level of uh, just built-in violence fits in that historical period in our minds however accurate it was to the real history and once you take that character out he becomes a psycho with a gun and that's really you know there's something about that uh, I'm a big film noir fan and you look at what the 1940s filmmaking uh, the some of those stories just don't work in the context of the 21st century. The uh, you know the relationship with women and minorities in, in those in those movies is kind of problematic now. I mean, you just can't get around that fact. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't. I I can look at those films and still enjoy them for what they are. And I know a lot of people can, and some people can't. And again, your mileage is going to vary on this stuff. And, you know, we're all... <sighs> Fandom is not a monolithic thing. We are allowed to believe different things and to enjoy different things. And we forget that sometimes, I think, too much. That we are... We're all in this together, but we don't have to be all in this together. If you hear this loud rattling noise, I bumped the microphone. We're doing a wireless mic here if you're watching this live, but... The receiver's sitting in my lap, and it bumped my coffee cup, and there was a small spill. Yeah. I am I am style and grace. Yeah. <coughs> that coughing would be the studio audience. Quiet, use. Anyway. So, uh, I, I guess this kind of turned into a 30-minute rant. And... As far as rants go, I suppose it's the kind of thing I'm, I have no problem ranting about. Um, looking at, you know, I guess, I guess what I want for me, and I'm the only person who can say that, I, I want this for me. Um, and I, I certainly have friends who, and you know, other fans who I know who are like this. But of course, again, we all, we all have our different tastes here. I just want a good story. If you, you know, DC Comics and Marvel Comics and uh, uh, several other different comic companies have all done, you know, Elseworlds or What If or all these different variant comics where you're, you're able to tell these different stories that are outside continuity. And some of that stuff has been really amazing. And some of it's been awful. Um, I think it was uh, the DC's JL Justice League America Whom Gods Destroy was just terrible. And... Uh, but at the same time, you had Red Sun, you know, Superman falling down in the Soviet Union, you know, crashing, the rocket crashing in the Soviet Union. You know, genius storytelling stuff. And there's been great stuff over on Marvel and, and Dark Horse and IDW and all these different things that have been told. Um, but you also, um, you know, whether or not this stuff is going to be enjoyable to you is, is all about... Uh, where you, how much you think that the, this stuff has got to be pure, and that really is a tough thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know, um, I don't know. If there's, <laughs> there's not a solution to this. I'm not going to give you an answer that sits there and goes, and this is how we should do it now, because that's not how it works. Um, I know what I'm happy about. I know what I'm enjoying. 
Um, and I know what my level of acceptance is for stuff that is different from the source material. And if you want an example of this, if you're a fan of the Marvel movies, then you know that what you see on screen is very different from what these characters were doing in the comics at the time. And like films have greatly influenced what the comics are doing because when your audience explodes the way that, you know, uh, millions and millions of people watching the film versus hundreds of thousands, in some cases, reading the comic, you find yourself going, well, this is what the audience wants. And again, your mileage may vary because you could argue that other versions of Guardians of the Galaxy, okay, I'm going to have a hard time arguing this, some people might feel that other versions of Guardians of the Galaxy that is not, you know, does not echo or replicate the movie version of the characters. Somebody might like the, you know, the 1970s version of the Guardians of the Galaxy better. I'm not sure who those people are, but somebody might. And, you know, but that's the, the makeup of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, when that first film came out, that's what you were getting in the comics. And it's, it's just a really, just a really interesting thing to look at. And, and uh, you have to wonder, you know, where where we go from here when you look at the stuff that we're, we're producing, you know, the, the, the studios are producing and the story to stories that we're getting, you know, and ask yourself where you fall in terms of what you're willing to accept and what you're willing to expect. And again, it's just gonna be, for me, it's just going to come back to good stories. I'm, I, you know, play with canon all you like as long as you give me a good story. Um, you know, but don't break it. I don't know. Uh, it's a long, it was a monologue. It's, it was this, <laughs> it's so much, so much easier to do this when, when I've got somebody else to talk to about this. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening to me rant and, rant and, and rave here for half an hour. Uh, obviously, yeah, again, if you're watching this live on Twitch, thank you very much for tuning in. And of course, you can uh, listen to the podcast on podcast.com and iTunes. All of our other great podcasts on Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Of course, you can follow us on just about every social media there is out there in the world. You, know, you can find us, of course, at SciFiForMe.com, but also Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the different places. Uh, here on Twitch, of course, and we hope that you will do that and share us. Let us, people, if you're enjoying our shows, uh, let us know, and certainly let other people know. We'd love to have more people tune in. We'd have more love to have more people watch our shows and listen to our shows and check out our fantastic website and all our great writers and, and the fantastic uh, staff here at sci-fi for me.com again folks thank you so much for tuning in and listening and we will see you next week with more of the Tim Hartman show this has been a presentation of sci-fi for me radio copyright 2017 by flaming dog media LLC all rights reserved no portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of flaming dog media this is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 